0: for today and just for this a beautiful day that it is outside and I thank you Father that you are Lord over all creation that you are the same yesterday today and forever and that you are the ancients of days and that you are our strong tower and our refuge God and I thank you that you are at peace in the storms God and I just thank you that you're the banner over us Lord and so I pray that as we just come to mm-hmm. that um and we would know you as those things. And I just thank you um, that we come with a grateful heart, that we have the opportunity um, to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um.
1: Father, we thank you, God, just for that hope that's found only in Jesus. <clears throat> Father, the day that you would return to gather those who belong to you. Thank you, Father, that you've given us this day, Lord, a new day, the day in which you have created, Father. I pray, God, that as we gather this morning, Father, that we would just focus and fix our eyes upon you. God, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, Father, that as your word goes forth, Father, I pray that our hearts would be of good soil, Father, that we not only receive it, but God, that your word would be rooted in us, Father, I pray, God, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that, God, we would be doers, you would awaken us, Father, to the urgency of the hour. And that, God, we wouldn't continue to live complacent lives, lives enslaved to sin, but, God, that we would live righteous lives, lives, Father, that are quick to be about our Father's business, God, sharing the good news, being light in the darkest hour, Father. God, that we would understand, Lord, that there is work to be done, that the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. So help us, Father, to get over ourselves. Father, and truly be committed to Christ, our Lord and our Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living through God's power. Again, this is our verse for the year. <laughs> and hopefully that I'm encouraging y'all that you truly would grasp the, the fullness of this verse. It's just a short verse, but there's so much truth in it. That this the, the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk. It's just not a lot of, of saying. It's just not puffing up the knowledge that you know of God and yet not living for Him. Like, see, the kingdom of God is living through the power of God. And it being transparent in a life that has been transformed. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. It is humbling ourselves and and recognizing that in and of ourselves, we are just sinners. (laughs) And complete rebellion towards the kingdom of God. But God, so gracious and so kind, slow to anger, he is so full of love and compassion that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so when you recognize that you're just this horrible sinner, you're in complete rebellion towards God, and yet God in his mercy reveals himself to you, The Bible says that God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. And when you get the revelation of truly who Christ is, when you truly grasp what he has accomplished, what he came to do just for you, to reconcile you back to the Father, that he loved you, yet though you were in complete rebellion towards him. See, no one else is going to love you that way. No one on this earth will ever love you the way that Jesus loves you. You were in complete rebellion towards him. And yet, he laid his life down for you. He gave himself for you so that you would truly know life. And not life when you get to heaven, but life now. The abundant life. The life that can rise up every day, no matter your circumstances of what's going around you, and still truly live as light in a darkened world. Not because you're living in your own strength, because you've reckoned yourself dead when you recognize Jesus. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you reckoned your old life dead, and now you are born again of a new nature. A nature now that is to be discipled and growing, and the newness of life. Like you're taking steps forward. When you stumble, when you fall, you're getting right back up and your position. And your movement is always forward. Because it's not in your power. There's nothing that you can do that will make you righteous. There's nothing that you can do to make you a light in a dark world. It all is a life dependent upon Jesus. Jesus. He's given us, the Bible says, everything we need to live a godly life. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, do not live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit like God in you. God's truth in you to accomplish God's purpose through you. And this is the truth, you all. And yet we see The condition of our generation, we read the word of God and and he tells us what it's going to be like. As we're drawing closer to the day of his return, things are going to get worse. They're going to get more darker. But the good news is, is that the Bible says "But the gospel is still going to be preached throughout the earth. You see, we are, if you're a Christian sitting here today, you are a part of the collective body of Christ, the church on the earth. Your purpose now is to do the will of the Father, to announce the good news of Jesus Christ, to live differently from the world. You're not to be tainted. With the things of this world. You're not to look like the world. Act like the world. Talk like the world. Keep going back to the worldly things. (laughs) Because you need to recognize. When you were there. (laughs) You were a slave to sin. And no slave. Wants to return. To its master. That beat the hell out of them. (laughs) That kept them in bondage. Why are you going back to the very one who has set out to destroy you? You see, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Like I've always told you all, the only thing the flesh knows to do is to die. If you sow to the flesh, don't expect to reap the Spirit. (laughs) When you sow to the flesh, the only thing you're going to reap is the flesh. Death. No matter how you want to make it look pretty, no matter how you want to justify it or convince yourself, no, I have a right to that. Understand, the only thing that you're going to get from that is death. Nothing good is going to come from the flesh. The good news is, and and we know this already, is that how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. The Bible says if you walk habitually in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And I've been warning you all over this new, in this new year, don't let the devil teach you about God. <clears throat> don't get your theology from the devil. <laughs> from lukewarm Christians. From from wolves in sheep clothing. (laughs) I've warned you for years. If you're hearing a gospel that gives you the right to yourself. Run from it. Flee from it. It is not the gospel. There is no good news in a false gospel. It's Jesus. And Jesus alone. That brings freedom to the captives. That brings hope. To those who are desperate, <laughs> who brings healing for those who need a touch. Rather, it's physically, emotionally, whatever. He touches the whole person, the very essence of who you are. You're born again to live right. Your past is forgiven. And boy, there should have been a shout right there. (laughs) Because I know some of y'all's past. I know my past. Like your past is forgiven. Jesus says, I don't remember it anymore. Like as far as the east is from the west, I don't remember. Like you are forgiven. It doesn't matter if man wants to keep throwing it up to your face. Jesus has announced that you are forgiven. And so when you grasp that truth day in and day out, when you get up every morning and you recognize that I'm no longer who I was, not because of anything that I've done to change myself, but all because of what Jesus did. See, when you shift your thinking and you begin to think as one who has been forgiven, you're not easily going to go back. To who you were. You're not going to go back to the person. Who is just about chaos. And destruction. And hurt. And pain. And suffering. No. You have a new mindset. And I know the enemy. And the religious. and, and, And the lost. Want to sing you asleep. A nice little lullaby. Oh, it's okay. Go to church. (laughs) Say you're a Christian, but you're never going to change. (laughs) You're just who you are. And they lull you asleep. You're always just going to be this way. God loves you. Don't become so holy. (laughs) Don't take it so seriously. It's just who you are. Feast, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever. And we're being lulled asleep. But the Bible says, Wake up, wake up, O oh sleeper. <laughs> you're not to be sleeping, <laughs> you're not trying to find comfort in this world. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I want to know, have you woken up this morning, and are you of good cheer? Not because your your circumstances are different. It's because you woke up and you said, I am forgiven. Like, Jesus loves me. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is working it in and through me to accomplish what he has created me to do. The reason why you keep going back is because you don't know your new identity. Like the Bible says that God has created you and He has created works for you to do. Think about this. Like even before Earth was formed and fashioned, you were thought of. You are not a mistake. Your past doesn't have to continue to define you because when you grasp the reality that God himself has a plan for your life, that he has prepared good works for you to do, and those good works only point to him, not to you. Like people are dying, you all. People are dying. And God has prepared you To be the light in this generation. Not to get lost and caught up in this world. And it's craziness. Things that they're saying are true now. Identities that are being so confused. People are so lost. And there's so many people trying to hold up truth. And yet not live the truth. And how sad to have a form of religion and deny God's power. (laughs) How sad. To allow chaos to rule your heart and your mind, your homes, your lives. How sad. Especially if you're saying, I'm a child of God. Think about that. At God's throne. (laughs) has been established forever. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is holy, holy, holy. There is none like him. If you are saying you belong to God, that you've been grafted into his family, that you've been given the right to call him Daddy, then, oh Lord, your life should be reflecting transformation because a rebellious one a sinner is rebellious to that thought. they can't comprehend it their eyes are blinded by the enemy they're just desiring things for themselves but a new creature A new creation, one who's been born again, yet not perfect, but forgiven, (laughs) moving forward. So I want to encourage y'all don't live a deceived life. I told you before, as we're reading the Bible, there's only two people in this world the righteous and the wicked. You can pretend that you're righteous. (laughs) Your actions, your thoughts, your heart reveals really who you are. In right standing with God or wicked one against him. There's no gray area. I know we like to pretend there is. I know we like to be lulled to sleep. Like I said earlier, the enemy, the world, the religious, they would like to lull you to sleep and keep you stuck right here. But may I remind you of Jesus' words. I would rather you be hot over here or cold over here. But if you're here, you're lukewarm. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Oh, let us not forget, those are Jesus' words. Because you're making a mockery of his kingdom. You're making a mockery of who he is. Oh, there's no in the middle. (laughs) No, you're either righteous or you're wicked. And you know, no matter how you want to pretend, you know which one you are. Man doesn't have to tell you. (laughs) Oh, but people know. The question is, do you understand that the enemy is working overtime to devour you and your loved ones? He's working overtime And you are called to resist him. And how do you resist him? By first submitting yourself to God. See, you submit yourself to God, then you resist the enemy. And you know what the Bible says? He has to flee. Oh, he can't linger around in the presence of God. Because the enemy is always exposed. Jesus steps into the synagogues, and what do the demons do? They've been sitting in the synagogues. Jesus! No, see, the devil can only stay where the presence of God isn't. And you better awaken to that truth. For what you put your hands towards, what you let come out of your mouth, what you allow your thoughts to run, what you allow to sleep with to think that you can remain that way and it's okay, all the devil's ensnared you. It's just a lot of talk to you about Jesus. Oh, I go to church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus did this in my life. Oh, I'm changed. I'm different. just a lot of talk. There's nothing to back it up. Your church attendance doesn't make you a Christian. You reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. You even praying doesn't make you a Christian. Only Christ does. Only Christ does. Do you believe you all? Are you walking with him daily? Not hiding from him. Not only coming to him when it's convenient to you. (laughs) See, you have to remember, you don't add Jesus to your life. You don't add Christianity to your life. No, you die to your life. And find it anew in him. How do I live now? I know I'm going to be tried and tempted and pressed up against on every side in this fallen world while I'm walking to it until the day you call me home or walking through it until the day you call me home. But I can trust in you that no weapon forged against me is going to prosper. See, the Bible says that the weapon's never going to be formed. No, it tells you it's going to be formed against you. But it won't prosper. See, are you walking victoriously? I'm not asking you, are you walking without any problems? I'm asking you, are you walking victoriously to where your problems aren't lording over you? (laughs) They're just underneath your feet. You're just walking. I'm not moved by this. I'm not going to give in to that, because he makes a way out of every temptation. You see, the kingdom of God is living through the power of God. But are you applying truth? That's what it boils down to, because the Bible says it's the truth that sets you free. The truth will never keep you captive (coughs) into sin. And the Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you see your mind shift, Your mind needs to have a shift towards righteousness
2: mm-hmm.
1: in and of myself I can't but you can I am only made right with God through Jesus Christ it's not through anyone else or anything else it's only through Jesus And so is your life dependent upon Jesus, you all? Time is running out. Time is running out. And you say, but this isn't good news. And I say, oh, but it is good news. Because the darker it gets, the closer he's coming. And we don't have time to be bickering amongst each other, there is work to be done. We don't have time for the insecurities and the weakness and the craziness. No, it's time to awaken to truth. Like, have you asked God today or sometime this <sighs> week, what am I to do today? <laughs> How am I to live today? And then with the sincerity of those questions, did you really live it out? Did you mean it? There's a lot of people pursuing God. But there's not a lot of people living for God. There's a lot of people who think that they've been converted because of their interest in Jesus. But your interest in Jesus does not make you a converted saint of God. Mm. doesn't make you a Christian. There's a lot of people interested in Jesus. <laughs> It doesn't mean they belong to Him. The mark of a believer, a true believer, is a transformed life. A transformed life. Not a perfect life. A transformed life. That's the mark of a believer. Just because you're interested in Jesus, remember, It is a life dependent upon Jesus. Jesus himself says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I ask? Jesus knows our hearts. Remember, all those people were following him. They were moved, they were interested in Jesus. Feed me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Provide for me, Jesus. Do for me, Jesus. Do for me, Jesus. Do for me, Jesus. And then when he finally shifted and knew that the cross was right there, he turned and he began to teach them what it really meant to follow him. And remember, the crowd, they left. This is too hard for us to understand. We're going back. Have you gone back, y'all? Have you gone back? If you have, there's still good news. (laughs) There's still good news. Just repent. Get up from where you are and repent. And repentance is a true turning away. It's not, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) And then you go right back tomorrow. Or right back the next hour. Or right back. No, again, a a forgiven person, one who really understands the debt that has been settled for you. (laughs) That you don't have to experience the wrath of God. No, one who truly knows that they're forgiven lives differently. It's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different mindset. So you know where you're at. So I would just ask you today, as as we're opening up the word today, like, listen, allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts and our lives. Because this new life in Christ is to be dependent upon him. Jesus himself says, I have to go away so that he will come. The Holy Spirit, your teacher, your advocate, your counselor, Don't be lulled asleep by the enemy in the world and the religious. No, be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Again, listen to what Scripture says. Do not live a life that grieves Him. Do not live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. You can't say you're barked by him and then live against him. You can't. Even if you say, "Well, that's just how I am," ooh, you're blaspheming him. When you say, "You don't know what I have to go through," you don't know this. You don't know. You don't know how they treat me. La 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 la. You don't know how hard the temptation was. I couldn't help
0: myself.
1: Blasphemy. You're making a mockery of God. of The Holy Spirit of God. Oh, that we would be quickened. That we would be quickened to say, oh God. Like, you're in me. Like, I'm the temple. You're the temple of God. At God, you all, has provided the means for you to live for him. Are you living for him? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Or are you still looking for someone else to satisfy you? <coughs> are you satisfied in Jesus? Or are you still waiting to be satisfied once your circumstances changes? No, see, Jesus, you all he is your all in all and now you're basing your life on his truth and you say well can I really take this serious oh (laughs) if you're calling yourself a Christian you better be you better be like Jesus' word you all I just want to challenge you this year just go read the red words in your Bible Go read Jesus' words. Know who he is. Stop letting the (laughs) devil. Tell you who he is. (laughs) Twist his truth to keep you enslaved. Jesus' words. You trip up someone else's walk with me. And it's best that you tie a heavy stone around your neck and drown yourself. Oh, that's Jesus' words. So how have you acted this week, you all? Oh, if you're sitting here in this room, and you're calling yourself a Christian, and you're telling others, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, what did others see this week in you? You're to be set apart. You're to be set apart, not of. You're not to be of this world. You're in this world, but you're not of the world. So you're not going along their ways. You're not acting like the wounded man or the wounded woman you used to be. (laughs) Because you're forgiven. I don't know if we really take his word seriously. Because there's someone who needed to see Jesus in you this week and all they saw was a shell of a person who has nothing in them to give because you're no different than them and you don't know that would have been their last day on this earth and you're acting like them <laughs> you're holding a form of religion and denying God's power I don't know how you talk to yourselves in the morning and throughout the day. I really don't. What you are receiving in life, everything that is around you is not to be what you're identifying with. Hmm. All your desires and things that are fueling you are not to be driving you.
2: That's right.
1: Like you're a new creation. If you're a Christian, if you're not, that's fine. You have a right to live however you want. I've said this to you all from the beginning. There's many of people who are not following God, and God created them, they didn't create themselves all the way up to the end. There are people who God has created who will not turn to the creator. And God will bless them because it rains on the righteous and on the wicked. The Bible says the wicked will prosper. But God, But God knows who belongs to him. Those who respond in truth and love. Like, I will lay down my life. Not because I'm forced. God does not force anyone to follow him or to love him. And God doesn't even want you following Him and loving Him just because you're afraid of hell. (laughs) Mm. Because your fear of hell doesn't make you right with God Mm. just because you come to church. Like people are dying and they need to see the power of the resurrected one in you. Do you remember what the Bible says? If you confess in your heart, and if you speak, or if you believe in your heart and confess from your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was raised from the dead. All right, so do you understand that? If you're sitting here today and you're calling yourself a Christian, do you understand what your belief is and what your confession is? there's a lot of people who may confess but there's no belief like when you confess and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead that's power you and no one else is risen from the dead. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And when you believe that, you believe in everything that comes with it. The power of the resurrection. And do you know what the Bible says for believers? That power that raised him up from the dead in which you say you believe in lives in you. Was it displayed this week through you? Because it needs to be. Because that's when people take notice. There must be a God. (laughs) Because I remember who you were. (laughs) There must be a God. Because you're not going the same way any longer. No matter how you're provoked. There must be a God. Tell me about it. What is different about you? What has happened to you? And you can't help but tell of Jesus. That is on your mouth 24-7. You say, oh, that can't be. Oh, don't be law to sleep. Just be a Christian when you show up to church. No, it's 24-7. There's no turning off Christianity just because you're around your friends there's no turning off Christianity because it's unpopular. The world will never accept Jesus and the world is going to grow with so much more hatred towards Christians. And this is the life in whom you are giving yourself to freely. Hmm. I will follow you, God. Do you understand your belief in your confession? Do you understand what it's going to lead you to? It is not a simple life. You are going to be hated. You are going to be persecuted. And if you already aren't feeling the hatred and persecution, then you better check your witness. Because it's even getting harder in America. Christianity, truth, truth will never be accepted. in the world because their rebellion is towards God's kingdom and some of you are yoked to people who are rebellious to the one you say you love and what kind of foolishness is that what kind of foolishness is that and then what are we doing with this generation that's coming up They see us talking about Jesus, a lot of talk, but there's no power. And so no wonder they're turning to everything and anything that's out there. Oh, but there is power, you all. There is power to live and to do what is right. Not in and of your own self, but living in and through Christ. He's the resurrected one. In him, you are a new creation. Live like that, you all. I don't know how to live. Learn. Learn. Your ignorance (laughs) does not excuse your sinfulness. You can remain ignorant. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) You know. You know, the Bible says you have not because you've asked not. You can't claim ignorance because you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and are you really going to tell the teacher he's not a good teacher? Are you really going to live a life that grieves him and blaspheming Blaspheming live lives that are blasphemous and then going to stand before him and tell him you didn't do enough oh be mindful God's wrath is a coming God's wrath is a coming and those who are in rebellion towards him will feel its weight for eternity for eternity eternity Oh, that, he's a horrible God for doing that. Oh, you don't have the right image of him. You've been lulled asleep by the enemy. <laughs> no, you all. God loves you and he is revealing himself to you day in and day out. Day in and day out. God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. It is you who refuse his love. And that is your choice. The wicked can live however they want. Can live however they want. But the children of God, there's only one way to live. And that is unto Christ and in Christ alone. Go to Leviticus chapter 13. God is setting a people apart for himself. And I don't know over the past, ever since we started in the book of Leviticus, I've heard more craziness from the clamor of the world, from the clamor of religious people, even people who are well scholared know the Bible back and forth, and yet teaching lies about Jesus. I mean, you've got to be careful. And a lot of people who want to justify their sin in this day and age use Leviticus to paint God to be a horrible God. You follow that God of Leviticus? I've heard that multiple times on podcasts, on social media comments. They don't know God. And then, there, and, then, and then people just get in arguments. And you don't have to argue with the lost, you all. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. So don't go back and forth on social media. Don't even exhaust yourself. They're lost. They're deceived. What did Jesus tell his disciples? If they don't receive the good news... Turn and go the other way. Shake the dust off your feet. Stop trying to beat people into the kingdom. Or think that you are going to outdo them. You're wasting your time. Move on. But be aware that the enemy uses scripture to confuse people. From the beginning of time, what did he say to Eve? Did God really say I don't know, did you say? And then all of a sudden doubt sets in. And before you know it, oh no, you got to remain on guard. Leviticus is an incredible book of the Bible. Because it gives you this incredible picture of who our God is. Remember, he just delivered his people from slavery. They were oppressed. And God called Moses, who is a foreshadow of Christ. Everything we see in the Old Testament is pointing towards the New Testament. He is setting apart a people for himself. Remember, all of you have been here long enough to know what God's plan and purpose is. To have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. From the beginning till the end and all eternity. God's plan and God's purpose. A people who would truly live for him, who would truly love him. What is the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God. Are you loving him? And you say, yes, I love him. Okay. <laughs> then Let's be real. Let's pull back this week. And you say, well, I'm not going to be perfect. You yourself say, I'm not going to be perfect. Oh! (laughs) Now you're just excusing your sin. No real love. (laughs) I fell this week. God was quick (laughs) to convict, to heal me, to restore me. And to get me up and move me forward. (laughs) I mean, as we're reading through the book of Psalms, we see these people go through life. I mean, desperate. I mean, for God's sakes, the last Psalm we read, David was feeling the the, the discipline of God because of his sin. (laughs) But he knew his God. And he looked up towards him. And he repented. You see, love you all. A true love. The very essence of love is God himself. And so when you have a right mindset of who he is, oh, you live for him. And you can't help but love him back. You can't help but love him back. He's setting apart a people for his purpose, for his plans. And they are to look different from the other nations. The other nations are running in chaos. And he's increasing his people. I mean, they are multiplying. Mm -hmm. And the other nations are not impressed by the Israelites. They're impressed by their God. They won't come and claim him as such, but they fear him. Oh! And as it is, for them, so it should be for us. Oh, people are not going to be impressed by you. But they will be impressed by God through you. Amen. Because what you mean you're not doing that anymore? What you mean you nailed your passions to his cross? What is that language? <clears throat> you just live differently. And last week, we, we saw how he was setting them apart. By by establishing rules and how they should eat. And I told you, don't you dare take these laws and apply them to today. We read on Wednesday night in the book of Acts. When Peter had that vision. And afterwards he sat down and ate with the Gentiles. And people say, well, God changed his mind. No, God fulfilled what he has planned and purposed through Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so you don't use these laws and try to make you holy in the New Testament by bragging how you don't eat this and you don't eat that. Oh, I'm looking down on you because you still eat that. The devil is a liar. And you better stay away from people. Who teach it as their foundational truth to salvation in Christ? It's of the devil. It's of the devil. Don't let the devil teach you theology. But also in that understanding, if people are choosing to abstain from eating from that, then we respect them. We don't come beat down on them and make them seem like they're lower. Because you're not eating the way we all eat. Because that's of the devil. The devil loves to come to divide. But God comes to unite. God is setting out these laws. God is setting out these instructions to bring a people to himself that will look different than the other nations, plus keep them healthy. Because they're multiplying. They're multiplying. They're becoming a strong nation. Have you looked at Israel today? I've always tell you all, you want to keep an eye on the coming of Christ? Look at Israel, the little nation that's surrounded by all of her enemies who are clamoring, give us your land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you look how much, even in our own nation, the hatred towards Jews is escalating. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a sign of the time. Watch it. I don't care about news. Oh, (laughs) that's you. (laughs) But I'm telling you, open your eyes. Because when you see all this crazy stuff, you go, oh God, keep me. Oh, fan the flame in me, God. I don't want to get sidetracked. God, I want to stay focused on you. There's work to be done. <laughs> it's escalating, you all. It's escalating. Everything that we're witnessing today is so prophetic. More so than any other days of, of, of life. It's escalating. It's escalating. And we don't have time to play church. (laughs) God is setting apart a people. He told them last week, Be holy, for I am holy. He's making a way for them. When you're unclean, you can be restored back to me. It's a beautiful picture. He never just turns people over (laughs) and keeps them there. He always makes a way out. Oh, he will turn you over. It's your choice to stay there or not. It's your free will. He always makes a way out. Every time in the Bible, when you see, he lays out his plan of wrath, he comes right alongside and says, but if you turn to me, if you would repent. So today he's going to talk about skin diseases. How to treat people who are among the community. How to to maintain sickness. Chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, if anyone has a swelling or a rash or discolored skin that might develop into a serious skin disease, that person must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons. The priest will examine the affected area of the skin if the hair in the affected area has turned white and the problem appears to be more than skin deep. It is a serious skin disease and the priest who examines it must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. But if the affected area of the skin is only a white discoloration and does not appear to be more than skin deep, And if the hair on the spot has not turned white, the priest will quarantine the person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will make another examination. If he finds the affected area has not changed and the problem has not spread on the skin, the priest will quarantine the person (coughs) for seven more days. On the seventh day, the priest will make another examination. If he finds the affected area has faded and has not spread — the priest will pronounce the person ceremonially clean. It was only a rash. The person's clothing must be washed and the person will be ceremonially clean. But if the rash continues to spread um, after the person has been examined by the priest and has been pronounced clean, the infected person must return to be examined again. If the priest finds that the rash has spread, he must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean, for it is indeed a skin disease. Anyone who develops a serious skin disease must go to the priest for an examination. If the priest finds a white swelling on the skin, and some hair on the spot has turned white, and there is an open sore in the infected area, it is a chronic skin disease." And the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. In such cases, the person need not be quarantined, for it is obvious that the skin is defiled by disease. Now, suppose the disease has spread all over the person's skin, covering the body from the head to the foot. When the priest examines the infected person and finds that the disease covers the entire body, he will pronounce that the person ceremonially I'm sorry, will pronounce the person ceremonially clean since the skin has turned completely white, the person is clean. But if any open sores appear, the infected person will be pronounced ceremonially unclean. The priest must make this pronouncement as soon as he sees an open sore since open sores indicate the presence of skin disease. However, if the open sore heals and turn white like the rest of the skin, the person must return to the priest for another examination. If the affected areas have indeed turned white, the priest will then pronounce the person ceremonially clean by declaring, you are clean. If anyone has a boil on the skin that has started to heal but a white swelling or a reddish white spot develops in its place, That person must go to the priest to be examined. If the priest examines it and finds it to be more than skin deep, and if the hair in the affected area has turned white, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. The boil has become a serious skin disease. But if the priest finds no white hair on the affected area and the problem appears to be more than skin deep and has faded, the priest must quarantine the person for seven days. If during that time the affected area spreads on the skins, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean because it it is a serious disease. But if the area grows no larger and does not spread, it is merely the scar from the boil, and the priest will pronounce the person ceremonially clean. If anyone has suffered a burn on the skin and the burned area changes color becoming either reddish, white or shiny white, the priest must examine it. If he finds that the hair in the affected area has turned white and the problem appears to be more than skin deep, a skin disease has broken out in their burn or in the burn. The priest must then pronounce the person ceremonially unclean for it is clearly a serious skin disease. But if the priest finds no white hair on the affected area and the problem appears to be no more than skin deep and has faded, the priest must must quarantine the infected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must examine the person again. If the affected area has spread on the skin, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. For it is clearly a serious skin disease. But if the affected area has not changed or spread on the skin and has faded, it is simply a swelling from the burn. The priest will then pronounce the person ceremonially clean, for it is only the scar from the burn. If anyone, either a man or a woman, has a sore on the head or chin, the priest must examine it. If he finds it is more than skin deep and has fine fine yellow hair on it, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. If it is a scabby sore of the head or chin, if the priest examines the scabby sore and finds that it is only skin deep, but there is no black hair on it, he must quarantine the person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must examine the sore again. If he finds that the scabby sore has not spread and there is no yellow hair on it, and it appears to be only skin deep, the person must shave off all hair except the hair on the affected area. Then the priest must quarantine the person for another seven days. On the seventh day, he will examine the sore again. If it was, has not spread and appears to be no more than skin deep, the priest will pronounce the person ceremonially clean. The person's clothing must be washed and the person will be ceremonially clean. But if the scabby sore begins to spread after the process, um, after the person is pronounced clean, the priest must do another examination. If he finds that the sore has spread, the priest does not need to look for yellow hair. The affected person is ceremonially unclean. But if if the color of the scabby sore does not change and black hair has grown on it, it has healed. The priest will then pronounce the person ceremonially clean. If anyone, either a man or a woman, has shiny white patches on the skin, the priest must examine the affected areas if he finds that the shiny patches are only pale white this is a harmless skin rash and the person is ceremonially clean if a man loses his hair and his head becomes bald he is still ceremonially clean and if he loses hair on his forehead he simply has a bald forehead he is still clean however if a reddish white sore appears on the bald area on top of his head or on his forehead, this is a skin disease. The priest must examine him, and if he finds swelling around the reddish-white sore anywhere on the man's head, and if it looks like a skin disease, the man is indeed infected with the skin disease and is unclean, the priest must pronounce him ceremonially unclean because of the sore on his head. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, as long as the serious disease lasts. They will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. Wow. God knows best you all. He's protecting his people. Remember, he is setting them aside. All the other nations are running them up, infected with anything and everything. But for his people, he's setting them aside. He's teaching them. This is beautiful. And isn't it interesting that when they're unclean, they're set out. And they have to basically announce it. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. They're to be isolated for that time. As to not infect the others. And that is the same with sin. Sin is a disease, you all. It's horrible. Nothing good in it. And I love in the fact that in the New Testament we see even Paul address it. Sin is not to run rampant in the church. We're to be different. We're to be different. But if you're infected by it and you refuse to repent, you refuse to turn away from, then you're to be set out in hopes for your soul to be saved. In fact, Paul was really direct with the church. He said, turn the man over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. That's why accountability is so important amongst believers. If you're with people who are calling themselves believers and yet they're not acting like a believer, you best not just go along with it and not say anything because I I don't want to make them upset. I'll just pray about it. No, you're to be the voice of reason to them. Why are you doing that? Why are you going that way? Brother, sister, turn back to Jesus. You have been infected, you're unclean. And if they refuse, then you bring someone with you to that individual. And if they refuse that, then bring them out in front of the church. And if they refuse that, they're there to be set out. You can't partake. You're unclean. Return, if you like, when you're ready to get over yourself. <laughs> Six years ago, today, we celebrate Norma's spiritual awakening birth. She came up those stairs in a beautiful white dress, transformed. Transformed. But that's after I had to set her out. Could you imagine if we just let her just exist? I mean, you've really got to ask yourselves, you all. Where are you? Where are you? Claiming Christ and yet a slave to sin. Romans 6 says you're no longer <clears throat> a slave to sin, you're to be a slave to righteousness. You're a different person. You're a new creation. I can't, I can't say it enough truly grasp it Like I, this is, there's so much more to life than all the chaos and weirdness all the pain and the hurt, everything that I've identified with there's so much more Christ has so much more so I was pre- preparing to go see my doctor the other day and was praying I was thinking, I was reminded of my two friends Naomi and Tida who I ran crazy with in the world I'm so thankful to Christ that they towards the end of their lives gave themselves to Christ and transformed. Just beautiful. And as this if I could hear from heaven, then cheering me on to keep going strong. Do you have people in your life that's cheering you on to go strong? You need to surround yourself with those people. You better start looking at the company you're keeping. Because I'm afraid some of you are around some unclean people. (laughs) And you've caught the disease. And you ought not to have. Like Repentance is vital to a believer's life. Your repentance is just not a one-shot little prayer. Like it's every day. Like, oh God. And then you get up. You don't play the weird, beat yourself down game, insecure weirdness that we do. (laughs) Like you just get up. Like, God, I need more of you. That just shows me, God, in this area of my life, I got to dig deeper. (laughs) God, I'm hungry. (laughs) I want to live for you. I want to know you. Because you've made a way for me to be intimate. Like there's this intimacy. You've allowed me to call you Abba, Daddy. Like you're for me. You're not against me. Oh, God. We don't have time for sin to run rampant. And that's what's going on in churches. This church and other churches. Sin is running rampant. And then the church doesn't know how to respond to it. I say we do as Jesus said to. Go to the person individually. Then take someone with you. And then after that expose them to the whole church. And then start setting them out. <laughs> you yeah, clean. When you're ready to return, come
2: back. That's what
1: I had to tell Norma. It's the hardest thing to do. As much as I love her, it was the hardest thing to do. It was the hardest thing to do. But I'm so grateful for the call years later that I got from her. Can we meet? Can we meet? You don't give up on the person when you set them out. You pray for them. Your hopes of setting them out is for them to return clean. But we got to get serious, you all. we got to get serious. Look how serious God takes disease. Look how serious God deals with sin. That he laid his own life down to defeat it. Why is it mastering us? I know we've been lost asleep. Well, I'm always going to be a sinner. Well, then you claim that, not me. I don't see that. Well, this is what I'm always going to do. That's your choice. You live of the old. Be of the old. And face his wrath. It's your choice. No, you should get up every day. I once was. But now I am. Oh, the old me would go back quickly, but the new me resists and say, not today, devil. Hmm. Not today, flesh. Oh, that must I remind you, flesh, I've nailed all your desires to his cross. It is no longer I who am living, so I'm not moved by your choices and your decisions and your woundings and your hurt and your past my new position is in Christ and I am forgiven see it's all a matter of how you're thinking these people had to come and be exposed there was no if and buts about it you got a sore (laughs) you got a rash you got a burn you got something get to the priest and have it dealt with we move on here. Treatment of contaminated clothing. Now suppose mildew contaminates some woolen or linen clothing, woolen or linen fabric, the hide of an animal or anything made of leather. If the contaminated area in the clothing, clothing, the animal hide, the fabric, or the leather article has turned greenish or reddish, it is contaminated with mildew and must be shown to the priest. After examining the affected spot, the priest will put the article in quarantine for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must inspect it again. If the contaminated area has spread, the clothing or fabric or leather is clearly contaminated by serious, by serious mildew and is ceremonially unclean. The priest must burn the item, the clothing, the wool, the woolen or, or linen fabric or piece of leather for it has been contaminated by a serious mildew. It must be completely destroyed by fire. But if the priest examines it and finds that, it, that the contaminated area has not spread in the clothing, the fabric or the leather, the priest will order the object to be washed and then quarantined for seven more days. Then the priest must... I'm sorry, then the priest must examine the object again. If he finds that the contaminated area has not changed color after being washed, even if it did not spread, the object is defiled. It must be completely burned up whether the contaminated spot is on the inside or outside. But if the priest examines it, and finds that the contaminated area has faded after being washed, he must cut the spot from the clothing, the fabric, or the leather. If the spot later reappears on the clothing, the fabric, or the leather leather article, the mildew is clearly spreading and the contaminated, and the contaminated object must be burned up. But if the spot disappears from the clothing, the fabric, or the leather article after it has been washed, it must be washed again, then it will be ceremonially clean. These are the instructions for dealing with mildew that contaminates woolen or linen clothing or fabric or anything made of leather. This is how the priest will determine whether these items are ceremonially clean or unclean. Again... That which is unclean doesn't belong. I want you to remember that as you're going through this week. I want you to think about how you're moving forward in this life in Christ. You are to remain and you are to abide in Christ. Apart from Him, you could do nothing. Abiding in Christ is this picture of cleanness. It's this picture of wholeness. And from this day on, that which is infected, especially by sin, doesn't belong. Doesn't belong. But here again, we see him dealing with issues that could plague his people with disease and sickness. And he's keeping them healthy. He's keeping them strong. He's, they're different than the other nations that do not have these laws and these rules for maintaining cleanliness. Go to Mark chapter 6. He's a God of detail, you all. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 29, Jesus left the part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Unbelief always hinders the flow of God in your life. Your doubt, (laughs) your uncertainty will always affect what God wants to do in and through your life. You must be in agreement with what God has established. You must trust in Him. Your faith must increase. These people, they scoffed at Jesus. He's just a carpenter. Really. And there was nothing to them. And so it is with the world. People scoff at Jesus. They have no belief in Him. And so we're not to be moved at the fact that they don't have any belief. That's what you just expect from the world. But you shouldn't find that in the church. We're not to be a people who are doubting Jesus. We're to be a people who believe. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And He called His twelve disciples together and began sending them out Two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. "'He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, "'no food, no traveler's bag, no money. "'He allowed them to wear sandals, but did not take a change of clothes. "'Wherever you go,' he said, "'stay in the same house until you leave, until you leave town.' But if anyone refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show them you have abandoned these people to their fate. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Isn't it funny what their message was? It wasn't come to God, get rich quick. Come to God, He'll take care of all your problems. No, repent. Turn from your sins and turn to God. It's the same message as it was then, as it should be today, and until the day that He returns. That's your message. And that's why I've always told you, stop trying to give people the kingdom without the king. There's a lot of people sitting in churches today that's going to go in, claim it and name it, thinking that they're full of faith, and yet they're full of the devil. Look at what it says here. Disciples went out telling everyone they must repent of their sins and turn to God. That is our message. How many people have you told that? This week. And not in a crude, rude way. <laughs> but when you speak that, it's a life that has been impacted by it. Because you've repented, you've turned to God. You're not beating people down with it. It's just the reality. You need to turn from your sin you need to repent and turn to God and did you see as we discussed earlier we see it here shake the dust from your feet as a sign to them these are strong words you have abandoned them to their fate to their choice and that has been so clear over the past week or so to me that there's people I just need to abandon (laughs) to their own fate. There's so much talking you can do. So much counseling you can do. (laughs) After a while, you just got to shake the dust off and say, that's how you're choosing to live. (laughs) Have at it. Have at it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Everybody wants counseling. Everybody wants counseling. And yet they want no application. No application. Turn to Jesus. Oh, do we have to talk about Jesus? Can't you just tell me like this and that? No, it's Jesus. You need to repent. There's nothing that can come from an unrepented life. You need to repent. Turn to God. Allow the true counselor to lead you and to guide you. Stop living a life that is hell bound and sin bound. Start living a life that's free in Christ. You're the one who's saying that you believe that he's the son of God and that he was raised from the dead. So live with that truth. The Bible says you have the resurrected power in you and yet you still have a foul mouth. God help us. God help us. No. No. And you're not even. It doesn't even. It doesn't even phase you that you keep doing the things that you're doing. And Jesus Himself says, "What? I can't do much here because there's no belief. There's no belief. So He moves on Himself, town to town. <laughs> he gives authority to His disciples to go." And they didn't change his purpose to satisfy the people of the towns they went to. It was the same message over and over. Then we transition to John the Baptist's death. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus. Because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's a prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talking about Jesus. As it was then, so it is today. Everyone has something to say about Jesus. But do you truly know him? <laughs> For Herod has sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his Phil- sorry. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, "It's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife." So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. (laughs) Listen, the wicked like to hear truth. They'll just never come to accept it most of the time. Herod was a man of power, and you see how John came to him? He didn't uh, water down the the message of God. He he, he didn't try to change it and approve Herod's sin to make Herod feel comfortable. No, he told Herod, turn to God. It's against God's law. And that woman hated John for getting in her business. She wanted him dead. Her- Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. "'Ask me for anything you like,' the king said to the girl, "'and I will give it to you.' He even bowed, "'I will give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom.'" She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray." Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to (coughs) her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. John the Baptist, you all. He was the one purposed to prepare the way for Jesus his message was of repentance turned <clears throat> to God this leader respected him didn't listen to him but respected him this woman hated him he's interfering telling everyone about my business i want him dead But she she didn't have the authority. So she used her daughter. Sent her in to do a sensual dance. For the government officials and his friends. The men that were sitting there. Drunk, I'm sure. I'll give you whatever you want and in love her right mind she didn't know what to ask for so she went to her mother and her mother laid everything upon that young girl <laughs> careful mothers fathers <laughs> what you're laying upon your children having them deal with your own sin issue she wanted him dead so go ask for his head and bring it to me. God help us, you all. Righteous or wicked. You choose. The Bible says that life and death are set before us. And then it tells us, choose life. Choose life. Not just one time here and there when, you feel, when pressure's While life is falling out of control. No, it should be every day. Whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. You should be choosing life. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of engaging with people. It's a whole (coughs) new way of living. And it should be celebrated. It's not a burdensome. Your Christian life is not a burden. It's to be celebrated. And you... Are the first one to celebrate it. (laughs) And then you gather with other Christians and we celebrate together. That's the purpose of worship, that's the purpose of gathering. Go to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. I said to myself, again, King David, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got. Igniting a fire of words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. I love this portion of scripture. David is wanting to do what is right. He wants to guard his mouth and and hold his tongue. And as he's trying, he's feeling everything kind of waging war within him. He's growing hotter. But I love how he responds. He responds not allowing the words out. He says, God, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Oh, how that should be a prayer for us when we want to react, when we want to give in to what's drawing us. that we would say, God, remind me of how brief my time is. David understands that we're here. Our life is just but a breath, you all. You're here today and gone tomorrow. It's just but a moment in time. So how are you choosing to live it? He goes on, We are merely moving shadows and all of our busy rushing ends and nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not look Sorry, do not let fools mock me. I'm silent before you. I won't say a word for my punishment is from you. But please stop striking me. I'm exhausted by the blows from your hand. When you discipline us for our sins, you consume us like a moth with what is precious to us. Each of us is but a breath. And then again, a picture of God's discipline. (coughs) Listen, the Bible says He disciplines us. He disciplines those who He loves. Not because He's an unfair God or a bad God, but because He is God and He knows what's best for us. And discipline is vital to correction. And if we're not correcting <coughs> our children, if we're not disciplining them in a way that brings about correction, not disciplining them to tear them down and to defeat them, <laughs> the, the point of discipline is not to destroy them, But it's to bring something out of them to make them better. Discipline is vital for growth. But the discipline needs to start with yourself. To grow. And then to allow Those whom you've been entrusted with to know what true discipline is and the reason behind it. God's purpose for discipline is always right. It's always good. But it's not easy, you all. Look at this picture that David paints for us. Stop striking me I am exhausted by the blows from your hand. God's discipline is painful, but there's a purpose in it. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. Leave me alone so I can smile again before I'm gone and exist no more. David's worn down. But yet in his lack of, of, of strength, if you would, he looks up. He looks up. And he calls upon God to have mercy on him. To lift up. <laughs> so look up, you all. Go, last verse. Proverbs 10, verse 10. Proverbs 10, verse 10. People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Careful of those who wink (laughs) at wrong They're just going to cause trouble. But a bold reproof, a bold correction promotes peace. Again, we get this picture of being corrected. And the purpose for correction is to bring about peace. And I love the fact this is what Jesus says. Peace I leave you. Peace I give you. The world can't offer you peace, you all. It will try, and it may may be a moment's worth of peace compared to the eternal peace of living a life with nothing missing, nothing broken. I'm going to close with reading this devotion, and then I'll close us in song and prayer. The devotion is called Washed and Broken, and it's written by Chris Tigreen. The verse is from Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He writes, life with God is rough on us. It's a tremendous blessing and a light burden, but it can also be a violent overhaul. A life reoriented from self to God, from human impulse to Holy Spirit, and from sin to holiness implies a traumatic event. The change we experience is radical and relentless. We will forever be glad for it, but it might hurt for a while. The writer of Psalm 42 is experiencing pain, mortal agony. He declares in verse 10, his soul is downcast. God has allowed him to be in a difficult place. His response is correct. He thirsts for God and trusts Him as his rock. Still, he must look forward to the future with hope because the present is excruciating. You've probably been in a similar state of mind. Pain is part of human experience. It's also part of the life of worship. Being a living sacrifice means that we live through the painful part of devotion, We give up treasures to the one who we love in gratitude for the blessings of his love. It's worth it, but it hurts sometimes, especially when he puts us in a hard place. Perhaps the hardships are simply to devote our strength and character, of character. Or perhaps God is rearranging our lives so we're really living for him. It's hard to sacrifice dreams and goals for his greater plans. But if we belong to him, it's inevitable. He always puts our hearts in their proper place. If you have entered into a relationship with God, if the breath of life is alive in you, then he will painfully touch you at your deepest levels of desire. That's a given, an integral part of the discipleship process. It isn't that your desires and attachments are wrong. They simply may not hold the proper place in your affections. But reordering your priorities to match God's is what's being confirmed to the image, conformed to the image of Christ is all about. Like a violent waterfall, God sometimes hurts. Like rushing water, he also purifies. If his work hurts, let it. Your hope. Is in him. And then he shares this quote. From Stephen Charnock. He says. We often learn more of God. Under the rod that strikes us. Than under the staff. That comforts us. Listen. Your Christian life. It's all based. In Christ you all. It's a life. In God. It's a life in Christ. The Bible says that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. So you can't think your Christian life is just going to be this giddy, fleeting, fun, loving life. <laughs> no, because everything about you, everything about this world, everything is, in, is warring against that of God. But God gets to the depths of who you are and draws out what is good for you. It's a process. And sometimes it is violent. Sometimes it is excruciating. But I love how he writes, your hope is in God, even in the midst of it, you all. And we see that in these psalmists as they're writing these psalms. They are facing life. They are facing discipline. But no matter what they're facing, they don't lose sight on who their God is. And let that be said of us. That we do not lose sight of who God is. For God is good, you all. And God is great. And I would just ask you, if you're not walking with Him today, then I would ask you to repent And turn to God. Turn to him. It's as simple as that. And believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God (coughs) and that he has been raised from the dead. Or you can choose to get up and not believe. Go about your way. And you have every right to. But know this. That's your choice. Or you can sit here and you can say, well, okay, this sounds whatever. I'm a Christian. And you can go live another week, not as a Christian. And you'll suffer the same fate as the one that's going to get up from here and deny Christ. Because that's basically what you're doing. Again, there's only two people in this world. The righteous or the wicked. And truth has yet again been set before you. You have to choose how you're going to respond. I'm going to close this with a song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
0: Of this life is for. I tried so hard to stay in control, to hold back the tears, to not let go. And I don't know why I've been long so long and when I know the question.